Hello and welcome to the Soccer History USA podcast. On today's episode, Fantastic Fall River. For the third straight year, the American Soccer League crowned a new champion. This season, it's Fall River. The Spindle City side finished with 44 points, outdistancing runners-up Bethlehem Steel by four. The rest of the table looked like this. New York FC finished the season strong and came third at 37. JMP Coates also ended the season playing well, but only managing fourth place with 27. Brooklyn Wanderers were next at 23, followed by the New York Giants on 18. Philadelphia was seventh with 12, and Newark rounded out the table, only managing seven points. It was a strong second-half push that propelled Fall River to the title. During one stretch between March 2nd and April 20th, the club managed to keep a clean sheet in six straight games and outscored opponents 18-0. The only asterisk on the streak was that five of those games were against the league's two worst clubs. Nevertheless, Fall River only lost one game in the new year, and that came at the hands of Bethlehem Steel on May 31st, when the title had already been decided. It was the Massachusetts club's only home defeat of the season and just the second game lost in the entire campaign. Only two weeks earlier, however, the championship was still on the line when Fall River traveled to Bethlehem for a showdown of the league's top clubs. The weather could not have been more ideal, and yet despite the importance of the game, a disappointing crowd of only 1,200 was on hand to witness it. In order to help generate atmosphere, the company had organized a rooting section for fans of the local side, and they even had a cheerleader dressed in a clown costume. Bethlehem Steel attacked from the opening whistle, and Finlay Kerr was called into action, making several good saves to keep his team in the match. As expected, the Jackson brothers made their mark. Walter's header and Alex's shot were both stopped by Kerr. Meanwhile, John Rattray fired wide, and Tommy Maxwell slipped as he shot, blasting the ball over the goal. Fall River also had some early pressure, as Tommy Rayside and Harold Britton missed on shots before Frank McKenna headed one off the crossbar. Overall, it was a nervy first half, with the pressure of the occasion getting to both sides a bit. Gradually, however, Fall River found its footing and began to control the game as halftime approached. The Bethlehem back line of Jock Ferguson and Jimmy Young were forced to clear shots that had beaten the keeper. The breakthrough finally came in the 42nd minute. Outside left, Frank McKenna sent in a beautiful cross that Bill McPherson buried into the corner of the net. After a breathless first half, the visitors were up 1-0 with 45 minutes played. The second half featured much of the same back and forth as both sides had problems taking their chances. 20 minutes into the second half, Bill McPherson crossed to former Bethlehem Steel man Harold Britton, who doubled Fall River's advantage. The final tally came in the 88th minute as Bethlehem Steel keeper Billy Highfield managed to stop a fierce shot from the boot of Dougie Campbell, only to see the ball fall to Britton, who did not miss. At the final whistle, Fall River had all but wrapped up the title with an impressive 3-0 victory. A draw at New York the next day sealed the championship. During the 90 minutes, Bethlehem Steel had more of the ball and tended to drive the action. But poor finishing proved costly to the Christmas City side as their hopes of a title slipped away. 
Credit must go to the Fall River defense, and especially the work of Kerr and Goal who made a number of key saves. And now for some headlines from off the pitch. President Calvin Coolidge signed the Snyder Act, also known as the Indian Citizenship Act. The new law states that all non-citizen Indians born within the territorial limits of the United States be, and they are hereby declared to be, citizens of the United States. A daring heist in Roundout, Illinois, as a Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Paul mail train headed to Minnesota was robbed of between one and $1.5 million. After commandeering the train, the bandits entered into a ferocious gun battle with guards before overpowering them. The crooks grabbed the mail sacks and escaped in four automobiles. Architect Lewis Henry Sullivan has died in Chicago, age 67. Mr. Sullivan, known as the father of skyscrapers, is famous for the dictum that form follows function. Among his most well-known structures is the Wainwright Building from 1891 in St. Louis and the Carson Peary Scott Building in Chicago, built in 1899. In sports, the Montreal Canadiens captured the Stanley Cup, defeating the Calgary Tigers in the finals. Rookie sensation Howie Morentz scored a hat-trick in the first game as the Habs cruised to a 6-1 win. Montreal finished out the series in the next game, beating the Tigers 3-0 to take home the title. Despite the disappointment of not winning the league crown, Bethlehem Steel still had to do a job in order to finish second. Hard-charging NYFC was pushing the Steelmen, and it looked like it may come down to the last weeks of the season. Before traveling to New York, Bethlehem Steel had their chance at revenge against Fall River when the two met at Mark Stadium on May 31, 1924. The visitors handed Fall River just its first home loss of the season, disappointing the 5,000 people who crowded the stands. The score finished 2-1 thanks to an own goal from Bill Fryer and another from the seemingly unstoppable Waddy Jackson. The showdown for third position took place the following week on June 8th at the New York Oval. Seemingly determined to seize the match, Bethlehem Steel came out firing as Waddy Jackson hit the post just five minutes in. A few minutes later, Alex Jackson notched his team-leading 14th league goal of the year, firing past the keeper from just outside the box. The Christmas City side doubled its lead a few minutes later when Tommy Maxwell got his boot to a Neil Turner cross. The Steelmen had scored two goals in just 12 minutes, and they weren't done yet. Less than a quarter of an hour later, Bob McGregor made it 3-0 as he headed home a beautiful cross from Malcolm Goldie. Heavy rain almost led to the game being canceled at the half, but instead they played on. New York scored in the 60th minute to provide a glimmer of hope, but that was soon snuffed out thanks to David Carson's brilliant work in the Bethlehem goal. Waddy Jackson earned his brace, scoring from a difficult angle and effectively killing off the game. Bethlehem Steel won 4-1 and clinched second place in the league for the second year running. To round off the top half, JMP Coates staged a mighty comeback to surge ahead of surprise package Brooklyn. The Pawtucket club finished strong, winning six straight to close out the season. They did it thanks to the strong play of stalwarts like Tommy Whitey Fleming, six goals in the last six games, but also from other less well-known contributors, such as Billy Adam, who found the back of the net eight times during the winning streak. Another key figure was Billy Hibbert, who chipped in three goals during the Threadmen's end-of-season run. 
Hibbert had been born in England in 1884, making him just short of 40 years old when he arrived for his first season in the ASL. Originally, he played and perhaps coached in Fall River, but made just four appearances before moving across the border to the Rhode Island club. Hibbert came from a large family, being the seventh of nine children. His father and older brothers worked in the coal mines, while his sisters were cotton spinners in the industrial center of Goulburn in Lancashire. The five-foot, eight-inch Hibbert used soccer as his ticket out of the mines and factories that dominated the region. He went on to become an experienced first division player in England, eventually making 386 appearances and scoring 175 goals. Hibbert first joined Barry FC in 1906 before moving to Newcastle in 1911 for what was then a record fee of £1,950, worth about $222,000 today. Later, he joined Bradford City on a free, leading the team in scoring during his two seasons with the club. Eventually, he landed at Oldham FC before coming to the United States. In 1910, he earned his one and only cap for England, lining up at inside right in a 2-0 defeat to Scotland. Later that year, he went on an FA tour to South Africa and scored a hat-trick in his only appearance. The sponsor of today's show is Pluto Water. Time counts. This country might not be the United States today had Paul Revere been late. New history was being written because he was on time. Time counts when constipation is disturbing the other bodily functions and prompt relief is advantageous. Pluto water is a harmless water laxative bottled at French Lick Spring, Indiana and prescribed by doctors. A clean body makes a clear mind. Drink Pluto water, America's physic. With the end of the season come the awards. It was a close race for Player of the Year and several deserving candidates emerged. Perhaps it should be dazzling winger Alex Jackson of Bethlehem Steel. The young Scotsman led his team in league goals and was a key part of the Steel men's success. Another candidate is Golden Boot winner Archie Stark. The NYFC forward scored 21 league goals, helping the Gothamites to third place. While both worthy winners, this year's Player of the Year award goes to Walter Waddy Jackson. Not only did he score 13 league goals, just one behind his brother, he added an incredible 16 more in the National Challenge Cup competition. Jackson also missed five games with a leg injury, and the odds are he would have likely added to his tally. For the second year running, the Golden Glove winner was Finlay Kerr of Fall River. Still only 27, Kerr was the class of a strong field of keepers. Not only did his club concede just 19 goals in 27 games, but Kerr was an Ironman, appearing in every league match for his club. Kerr and his side set league records for the fewest goals allowed over the course of the season and logged 14 clean sheets. Of course, a record like that is not just the result of a talented goalkeeper, but is something that requires the whole back line to do their part. In recognition of Fall River's defensive achievements, Fullbacks Alec Lorimer and Ned Tate have been named to the ASL team of the season. Lorimer had been born in Scotland in 1896 and had previously won the league crown as part of the Philadelphia squad in 1921-22. A boilermaker by trade, the 5-foot 10-inch Lorimer was a classic hard man. A resolute defender, he sometimes crossed the line, including the incident with Tommy Maxwell in the National Challenge Cup final that earned him a six-month suspension from the Federation.
At only 23, Ned Tate was five years younger than his defensive partner, but was an equally adept stopper. His job as a blacksmith must have given him great strength, an essential quality for a defender. Another Fall River player, William Bill McPherson, made the all-star squad at right halfback. He was a skilled player who seemed equally at home in both attack and defense. While he helped keep things organized at the back, he also chipped in offensively with 10 league goals. Although he didn't make it into the top 10 in terms of scoring, he seemingly had a knack for finding the goal at key moments. Four of his goals came in the last five games of the season as Fall River was wrapping up the title. The position of center halfback is manned by Bethlehem Steel captain Bill Carnahan. Tommy Nickel, who made 21 appearances and scored six goals for Brooklyn, rounds out the midfield three at left halfback. Competition for places in the attacking line was stiff in the 1923-24 season. Center forward was particularly crowded, and some top players such as Tommy Fleming of JMP Coates had to be left out. Waddy Jackson is selected at center forward, and although that was also Archie Stark's primary position, he was slotted in at inside left. Outside left was Bart McGee from New York FC. The right side featured Alex Jackson on the inside with Tommy Duggan making his second straight appearance out wide. The American Soccer League's third season was arguably its most exciting yet. What big plans are in store for the next campaign? Find out on the next Soccer History USA podcast. Sources for today's program include Colin Joseph's The American Soccer League, www.bethlehemsteelsoccer.org, The Brooklyn Eagle, and Ancestry.com. Music from archive.org. Thank you for listening to the Soccer History USA podcast. For more information, visit www.soccerhistoryusa.org and follow me on Twitter at Soccer History US. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Thank you.